It's good to be back with you all this morning uh, after having been away uh, last Sunday. This morning we are going to continue our sermon series uh, that we've been working through entitled The Broken and Beautiful Church. Uh, We are looking at Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, the church that that frankly is a mess. It's a church that's dealing with all sorts of issues. Um, And it's interesting though reading their problems because their problems so often are, are the same problems that we're dealing with too. It's just a different version of the same thing. And so uh, we're spending time reflecting on these, considering uh, what a letter like this would have to say to the church of our day, uh, broadly speaking, and, and to our congregation here at GCC as well. Now, so far in our letter, Paul's been dealing with this topic of division. Uh, the church is divided up into all sorts of factions based on their appreciation of certain individuals over and against others. Uh, some follow Paul, some follow Apollos, some follow Peter. It's the last week we're going to uh, be looking at this. Uh, but one of the reasons for various people identifying with, with various groups and various individuals uh, was the charisma, the rhetorical skills, the, the insights, the, the sophistication associated with those particular leaders. And Paul's made it very clear that this obsession with greatness with looking good, with, with being respectable, with, with, with being elite, was functionally denying the very gospel that saved them. Because the gospel that saved them was all about weakness. Jesus coming in weakness to rescue weak people through, through self-sacrifice. Through weakness, God demonstrates his power and accomplishes his purposes. But all this talk about about certain leaders, begs an important question. It's a question we're going to deal with today. How should we view leaders in the church? That actually gets to the title of our sermon today, Leadership in the Church. And this is what Paul begins to tackle in chapters 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians. Now, we're not going to look at at every verse in chapters 3 and 4 of, of 1 Corinthians. I would encourage you, uh, check that out, read that on your own. But, but what we are going to look at, I think, gets to the point that he's really trying to drive home. And so if you look at page 12 of your worship folder, uh, you will find several verses uh, from these two chapters, starting in verse 5 of chapter 3. We'll read these together. Hear the word of the Lord. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then skipping to chapter 4, verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. And down to verse 6. I have applied 
all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another, uh, one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. And without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became a father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have noticed so far throughout this worship service, there's there's been a theme. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd from Psalm 23, from Ezekiel. God's saying, I will shepherd my people. Then he says, the son of David will shepherd them. Jesus saying, I am the the good shepherd. Clearly what we've seen thus far throughout Scripture is that God wants his people to know that he himself is the caretaker of the church. He is the overseer of the church. He is the shepherd. And yet, Jesus, the head of the church, we also find in Scripture him appointing individuals to roles of leadership. Initially, Jesus appoints apostles. An apostle was someone who who met two criteria. He had seen the risen Christ and was commissioned by Jesus to go and establish the church. And in verse uh, 9 of chapter 4, which we just read, Paul, the guy we've been studying, refers to himself as one of these. He's an apostle. And this status of being an apostle placed him in a position of leadership, in a position of authority in Christ's church. And so appealing to this authority, Paul is going to write to the church at Corinth to describe to them how they should understand what it means to be a leader in Christ's church. Now, to be clear, those who saw the resurrected Jesus and were sent by him to establish the church, they're long gone by now, okay? Those guys are not still around. It's been a long, long time since those guys have been around. So there are no more apostles anymore. However, there are still roles of leadership in the church, leadership under the leadership of Christ. And therefore, this passage very much speaks to to us here today in terms of how we understand leadership. Now, We're Presbyterian around here, 
Um, and so for Presbyterians, we're really big on the concept of elders. The word Presbyterian actually comes from the Greek word. It means elder. In our system, we have two types of elders. We have, we have ruling elders who are elected from within the congregation uh, to shepherd uh, the flock and, and lead the people. And we also have teaching elders, which can also be referred to as, as pastors. So we have ruling elders in this congregation. We have one teaching elder, myself, here as well. This morning, what I want to do is to, is to discuss this idea of elders. Specifically, I want to drill down on the topic of, of, of pastors. How do we understand the role of the pastor? Years ago, I uh, heard someone state that there's two extremes in terms of how people think about the role or the office of the pastor. On one extreme, you have the rock star pastor, okay? The pastor is sort of a, a demigod. He's the person who, who knows all. He sees all. He's the guy running the show. Now, in some traditions, that means he's wearing all sorts of fancy vestments and a big hat. Other traditions, he's wearing a robe, maybe just a suit. In some traditions, he's wearing skinny jeans and dark rim glasses. It, that that and that can happen in any one of these. The bottom line is, is that this is the guy that the congregation looks to for the answers. Tell us what is true. This person is on the pedestal. This guy's in charge. They're running the show. And don't you dare question them. That's the one extreme. The rock star pastor. On the other extreme, you've got the employee pastor. And the role of the employee pastor is simply to work for the congregation. And like a good cruise ship director, don't rock the boat, okay? Keep everybody entertained, keep everybody happy, don't chat, don't say anything. Could ruffle a feather or two, okay? Don't challenge, don't change, just just do the congregation's bidding and keep them happy. Those are the two extremes. And in chapter 4 of what we just read, verse 1, Paul makes a statement that addresses both of those extremes. He writes, take take a look at it. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Leaders should be servants and leaders should be stewards. And it's these two descriptions that is actually going to serve as our two points for the day. Because there's definitely some overlap between the notion of being a servant and a steward. But by mentioning both of these, Paul is trying to highlight something very different about these two concepts or ideas or roles. Okay? And so first, let's look at the idea of leadership as servants. Leaders as servants. I don't know about you. You hear the word servant. What, what comes to mind for you? But for me, it's, it, it's the show Downton Abbey. Okay? We know Downton Abbey, a couple years old now, but, you know, the reruns are still, still rolling. It tells of this aristocratic British family around the, the turn of the 20th century who reside in this incredible estate which requires all sorts of, of servants to, to meet up with the needs of the family and, and keep the property uh, in good working order. And, and the picture of, of being a servant in this show is, 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 I mean, it doesn't sound like that bad of a gig. 
I mean, you get to, you get to wear a tuxedo around all day and you, know, you speak with a British accent and <laughs> offer the occasional words of wisdom when called upon to do so. And, and you know, you get, to, you get to enjoy the benefit of this immaculate facility. Now, are, I mean, are these people servants? Well, well, absolutely they're servants, but they're sophisticated servants. They may not be like the upstairs elite, but, but they're in the house. Now, you may hear the term servant and think Downton Abbey, but, but here's a question. What comes to mind when you hear the word slave? I suspect it's not the same image. But here's the thing. Though we may be more comfortable with the, the term servant and perhaps uncomfortable with the, with the term slave, in Greek, exact same word. The exact same words. The word doulos. Paul's word here, as we read this, could just as easily been translated slave. Now, obviously, we as Americans have got our baggage with that word, given our detestable history on this subject. And while there are significant differences between the institution of slavery, uh, which deserves um, condemnation in America, and what Paul is describing here in being a servant of Christ— the most notable difference being that Christ is not a cruel taskmaster. That's not to say that, that Paul's experience of being a servant of Christ did not have difficulty. I mean, did you see how Paul described his experiences? Chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. He said, look, look at it. Men sentenced to death, spectacles for the world, fools, weak, held in disrepute, Hunger, thirsting, poorly dressed, homeless, reviled, persecuted, slandered, the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. That's some tough descriptions right there. Not exactly what, you know, when people are advertising the notion of of going into the ministry, you don't generally lead with that kind of stuff. And yet Paul is communicating something very important here. That true leadership involves being a servant. And being a servant necessarily involves embracing hardship. You're following Jesus, and we know how that worked out for him. It just comes with the territory. And go as far as to say, one's willingness to embrace this type of servanthood, this type of struggle, this type of hardship, exposes what's really driving a person's desire for leadership, what's really their motivation. This would be a great message to communicate to anyone who wants to be a leader. It's a good message. But here's what I want to point out. Paul's message, this is not written to want to be leaders. It's written to people enamored with leaders, to people who would put leadership on a pedestal. Here's what Paul wants us to see, that it is entirely possible to put too much emphasis on the role of the leader, which can lead to all sorts of problems. The most notable problem being that it is entirely possible for us to become so enamored with the packaging, with the presentation, with the personality of certain individuals that we lose sight of Jesus 
that we become more excited about the instruments that are designed to point us to Jesus than Jesus himself. And when that's the case, there's the real possibility that we aren't growing closer to Christ. Because what we've done is we've bought into a, to a movement, to, to hype that's centered around a person. That person not being Jesus. Now think about the, the American church over the last 50, 60 years. Okay? There's a narrative. See it time and time again. Perhaps you've even witnessed it firsthand. I think back to the ministry. I, you know, I've been in ministry now for over a decade, and time in seminary and college. You know, there were certain ministries that were, that were propping up, and, 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 and all of a sudden they, they, were the, they were the next big thing. But with so many of them, it's the same story. The minister gets the following, starts landing on television or starts publishing books, videos, starts blogging. He, he becomes a big deal, so much so that he can no longer be called into question. It's accountable to no one. And then he begins to develop unhealthy habits, and eventually things blow up. It doesn't happen all the time. I don't want to, you know, say that necessarily is going to happen to anyone who's ministering to a lot of people. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. But it does happen a lot. And it begs the question, why? Why does that happen? Now, we could, we could blame the individual, right? I mean, we could say they were power-hungry, and they wanted influence, and they wanted self-promotion. Perhaps. Deep down, maybe that was what they were after. But rather than simply piling on those who, who have fallen, I want us to consider Paul's logic here for a second. That, that while individuals seeking glory for themselves and using the ministry to do so is certainly a problem, yes. There's also a problem with an audience who becomes so distracted by personality and charisma and movements and influence that they're placing human beings on this pedestal, in this position. That, that a personality-driven church culture that functions the exact same way as what Paul is addressing here to the church at Corinth could have a role to play in this? That the way we think about church leaders could be a contributing factor? I'm not absolving anyone for anything, but could that play a role as a contributing factor? It's just a question. It's a question for us to think about. And so, Responding to this temptation to make a leader some untouchable rock star, Paul plays down their importance here. He plays down his own importance. He uses a term like servant or slave. It it, it implies subservience, hardship, humility. What are leaders? Leaders are simply God's instruments to point people to Jesus. There are to be people who are not interested in, in self-promotion, but in, in promoting Christ. They are servants through whom people have believed the gospel and, and heard it and, and accepted it. Paul writes, he who plants and he who waters isn't anything. God gives the growth. It's his church. This is his project. You are his people. And so Paul tells them, stop being puffed up in favor of particular leaders. Stop obsessing over Paul or Apollos or Cephas. You're missing the point, which is Jesus. 
No one can lay a foundation other than Jesus Christ. And the role of the leader is to serve people and point them to Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus describes leadership this way. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so with you. Whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It begs a question for us here. What are we looking for in leadership? I'm not talking about broadly in the church. I'm talking about us right now, GCC. What, are, what, what, what do we value in terms of leadership? I mean, just to put this on your, on your radar, this fall we're going to begin taking nominations for uh, the office of ruling elder. Men who, who you will nominate to provide leadership and help shepherd this church. And what Paul writes here speaks to the type of individuals we would elect to that office. Humble men who will serve you and point you to Jesus. Furthermore, at some point, you as a congregation will will vote on the next senior pastor of this church. What is it that you want out of the next senior pastor? I mean, are you looking for an evangelical or reformed rock star, somebody that can give Grace Community Church a little cachet in the community? Someone with sophistication and charisma and eloquence. Again, nothing wrong with any of those things. But all of those are secondary to the desire for a humble servant who will love you and point you to Jesus. Because to hear Paul, that is what we need. Someone that will get out of the way and simply point you to Jesus. But that's not the only description Paul gives to describe leadership. brings us to our second point today, the notion of leaders as stewards. So it's possible to make too much of leaders. We saw that a moment ago. But it's also possible to make too little of them as well. So Paul uses the term steward. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the the so-called parable of the talents, which illustrates well what a steward is. Jesus tells the story of of a rich man who before he's traveling away he's from his home, he, he gives some money to, to three different men, entrusting that each of these three men would take the money and use it wisely to make more money. The idea here is that a steward is someone who, is, who has been given responsibility for something for which they are accountable. They are accountable to, to someone else for the protection of the the, the cultivation of, the the guidance of whatever has been entrusted to them. And Paul uses this same image to describe the situation of the leaders that God has given. God's leaders are not only servants, they are servants who are accountable to him for what what they do. Now, it could seem like a no-brainer, right? Um, Got it. Ministers are accountable to God. Elders and cannibal got got it. The problem, though, with the Corinthian church is that a good many of them didn't like Paul anymore. 
And so they weren't really willing to accept his authority. They believed they could pick and choose who was going to lead them based on their preference. Now, as Americans, one of our primary beliefs, belief that we hold dear, is our belief in, in democracy, right? We get to vote. We like that. We like to elect our leaders. And as I said a moment ago, I mean, as a congregation, you're In the coming months, you'll have the privilege to participate in the election of your ruling elders. Eventually, your next senior pastor. That is a right that is afforded to you by virtue of being a member here. That's a good thing. But what that could do is to give us the impression that all aspects of Christ's church are simply a matter of democracy. And as much as we may love democracy in certain areas of our life, it's tough to make the case that the church is just a true democracy. Because, as as we said before, this is God's project. Jesus is Lord of his church. And, and, And though in our context you will elect these individuals, we believe God is in the middle of all of this. That what we're actually doing is recognizing the gifts that God has given to certain individuals and the calling that he has placed on their lives. It's not simply our power that makes it so. It's God's calling. And God's calling is for these leaders to lead. That's what the leaders do, right? Now, I mean, as we already said, leaders are to be servants. And servants are people who are concerned for the welfare of those for whom they're serving. They're serving Christ, and by virtue of that, they're serving people. And therefore, leaders cannot be, should not be, indifferent to the, to the needs and to the concerns and even thoughts of those for whom they're serving, right? But they're responsible for leading a congregation. Yes, they are servants. Yes, they are slaves. But they are not slaves to public opinion. They're servants of Jesus Christ. And they're stewards of the mysteries of God. They're people who have been entrusted with responsibility to lead and to shepherd. Author of the book of Hebrews at one point makes this statement. Obey your leaders. And all of God's people goes, really? That seems a bit much. Um, Obey them? Doesn't sound very democratic. Now, to be clear, that's not individual leaders acting in isolation. It speaks to the sort of collective body leading. But this is in keeping with, with the vows that we take as members that we promise to subject ourselves to the government and the discipline of the church. Now, does that make any of us nervous? I suspect so. I totally understand why. And there's an understandable fear that, that goes along with accepting authority, especially an authority that will inevitably be imperfect. There's not an elder on the planet... There's not a pastor on the planet who isn't a sinner and therefore capable of making mistakes and being wrong and causing damage, whether intentionally or or unintentionally. And yet God put forward the notion of an imperfect authority in place for the good of his people, and, and they are accountable to him for leading. 
I want you to hear me very, very clearly on this. Please do not hear me advocating for some type of carte blanche that allows leaders to take advantage of their position. Okay? To lead people into some type of immorality or heresy or stupidity or harm. It's not what I'm saying. All of us are accountable, first and foremost, to Christ as your shepherd. And your under-shepherds, as Peter refers to him in 1 Peter 5, are under-shepherds, subservient to Christ. So, here's a question. Acknowledging that there might be really good reasons to struggle with leadership. There are a number of questions that we need to ask ourselves on this. Because I, 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 I hear the notion, okay, authority, obey, that kind of thing. And my mind immediately runs to, what are all the reasons why I don't have to do that? Like, what, what if this happens? Or what if this happens? What, okay, all, that could all be legitimate, fine. But let's take a look at our own hearts for a second. Ask ourselves a couple of questions. Are we capable of being led? Do we recognize our need for leaders in our lives? Or is our default response to look for all the reasons why we shouldn't accept it? Are, are we teachable people? Do, do we still have anything to learn? Are there things that, that we don't know? Or are, are there areas where we could just be flat out wrong and not realize it? Are we in need of growth? I mean, frankly, what we read in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 is Paul getting a little sassy with these Corinthians. We didn't read all of it, but I mean, verses 9 through 13 are some holy sarcasm he's engaging with. Paul is exposing their arrogance, an arrogance that would, that would lead them to think that they are the ones in position over him, that they're the ones who will stand over their leaders and judge their performance rather than being able to be led by their leaders. And here's the thing. This gets to the problem of, of the view of leaders as nothing more than, than simply employees. If your leaders are nothing more than employees who exist to do nothing more than, than keep everyone, you included, happy, then they'll never be able to say anything that would challenge you. And pastors should be stewards of the mysteries of God. Elders, stewards of the mysteries of God. A term that Paul's going to use, I mean, to describe the gospel itself. The mysteries of God. The gospel. Pastors have been entrusted to proclaim the good news of a God who loves sinners and came to rescue them through the finished work of his son. What a privilege it is. That is good news. But here's the thing. The gospel is good news. But it also has the real potential to offend our sensibilities, doesn't it? It's not to say we make it offensive being hostile or belligerent or, or cruel. But the gospel does call into question our self-sufficiency and our self-righteousness. It exposes sin that's lying deep below the surface. It tells us that we're not just imperfect people who, 
who you know, need a couple of moral tweaks here and there, but we are rebellious people. And we are in need of radical forgiveness. And we need to be radically changed. This gospel message also has implications for our lives in all sorts of areas. And there's times where those implications have to be addressed. The question is, and we have to ask ourselves this, can we receive a word that gets into what's really going on in our lives? And are we, are we people, individually, who can have someone tell us the truth? Not to shame us or hurt us or go self-righteous on us, but because they genuinely love us. Do we, do we have those people in our lives? Because here's the thing, we, we need those people in our lives because we're sinners. And, and if we truly grasp what, what the Scripture says about what it means to be a sinner, then we are capable of a lot of things. If left to our own devices... Like sheep, we are capable of of wandering away and getting ourselves into trouble. And what we need is for someone to call us back and to remind us of what is true and to point us to Jesus. And here's the thing. If our leaders are nothing more than employees present to just reaffirm what I already think and keep in place what we're all, just keep everything in place. Don't rock the boat. It's hard to imagine those kinds of conversations taking place. And if we don't have that, if we don't have people speaking truth into our lives, even into areas that we might designate as off-limits, I'm going to go as far as to say it's hard to imagine us really growing. And so our leaders, our leaders are called to be servants, and they're called to be stewards, humble servants of Jesus, and therefore Jesus' people, but also stewards, bearing the responsibility of those entrusted to our care. Now, those two terms, I'm about to bring it in for a landing here. Those two terms, those could seem like their intention. Steward, servant. But so often it's the case that all the tensions in Scripture end up getting resolved in the person of Jesus. One who, who served his people to the end by laying down his life for them. One who was also responsible for them. He was responsible for all that the Father gave him, entrusted to his care, all that the Father put before him, and accomplished those objectives. And the reason that Paul, as a leader, can speak to the church this way is because he knows Jesus, and he has the Spirit of Christ within him, and because he's been entrusted with, by Jesus to lead and he's a father to these people. That's what he says here. And he's seeking to be like Jesus. So much so that Paul can say, be imitators of me. That should stop any leader in their tracks, the notion of being able to say that. And later Paul will, will, will put on the, the additional comment, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But that's the claim that Paul is saying. And those are the leaders that we need. We need them. We need them in our lives. I, I feel privileged to get to serve with the two men that I'm serving with here. And we need your prayers. We, we, 
we long to be those type of leaders for you. Humble servants and faithful stewards. Pray for us. We need your prayers to that end. I would also ask that, that, that as we consider our future leaders, that that's, that's what we would long for as well. Humble servants and faithful stewards for our good and for God's glory. To that end, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your church. We acknowledge our need for it. We need people in our lives to to show us things that we don't know and, and so often to save us from ourselves and to point us back to you and your goodness and your grace and the foundation that you've laid for us. Help us, Lord, um, as specifically as leaders, to, to be those type of leaders. Help us to long for those type of leaders. Uh, I pray right now for future ruling elders, future pastor of this place, that that, that would be in the water here, uh, a place that, that can get ourselves out of the way and focus on who you are and what you've done for us. So help us. Help us, we pray all in Christ's name. Amen.